Hello, and welcome to the River of Life podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for service times and directions. That's riveroflifefl.com. Now, let's join Senior Pastor Henry Jones as he teaches from the Word of God. Please take your Bibles and open them to 1 John chapter 5. We'll begin reading in verse 14 here in just a moment. 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. You may not have thought this day would ever come, but we have reached the last message in our study of 1 John. We have been here for a while. And as I told you from the beginning, John was the last living apostle that walked with the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was the writer of the last words that would be written in God's Word. He is the human author of five books in the New Testament, inspired by the Holy Spirit. He wrote the Gospel of John, 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and the book of Revelation. When John stopped writing and put his pen down, it was finished. The Bible was complete. In fact, John gave a stern warning to the people of his day and our day, to all people everywhere, not to add to or to take away from what was written. As we have seen in our study of this book of First John, it's all about, and this is no exaggeration, it's all about from the beginning to the end, it's all about confidence. It's all about assurance. It's all about knowing something. It's all about knowing that we know that we are children of God. It's about knowing who we belong to and what salvation has brought into our lives. It's about knowing and having confidence that even though we live in this world, we are no longer of this world. It's about knowing and having confidence that sin no longer controls our lives. And it's about knowing the truth of God and knowing it so well that no one can deceive us. It's about knowing the wonderful benefits that come into our lives when we come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. And as we look at these last eight verses in our study, there will be no exception. This is all about confidence. This is all about assurance. This is all about knowing. And I want to tell you, when you leave here today, you should be encouraged. You should be strengthened. You should be built up in the Lord. You should walk out of here with more confidence than when you came in, because that's what this is about. May God bless us today to receive the word, to apply it to our lives, and to leave here with great confidence. In our Lord Jesus Christ. I want to pray before I read my text. Would you bow with me? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you 
for what you've done. Lord, if we were to say amen and walk out the door right now, we would say praise God for the wonderful things that have already happened. We thank you for that. But now, Lord, we ask that you will open our hearts and minds to receive the word of God, to believe, thus saith the Lord, to apply it to our lives. We pray, Lord, that this will be a day of encouragement and edification and strength for every one of us who know you as Lord and Savior. And if there's someone in the house who has never trusted you, that this will be a day of salvation. Blessed in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, you should have your Bibles open to 1 John 5. I'll begin reading in verse 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we have asked of him. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, He will ask and he will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. There is sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. All unrighteousness is sin and there is sin not leading to death. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. We know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Amen. That's the way the book closes. Now today, as I talk to you about confidence, and as we look at what John has to say about confidence, it's important that we all understand that this has nothing to do with self-confidence. This has everything to do with God-confidence. You see, John wants us to understand that we can be confident in the one who saved us. We can be confident in the promises He has given us. And we can be confident in His ability, not our own ability. And and in fact, when you read the Bible, you find out that those who have self-confidence and those who have self-trust are in great danger. One verse in the Bible says, the heart is desperately wicked, who can know it? Another verse says, he who trusts in his own heart is a fool. And then another says, when a man thinks he stands, take heed, lest he fall. And then another scripture says, pride goeth before destruction. And then the New Testament makes it crystal clear that God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. You see, the truth of the matter is, is we cannot trust ourselves This is not about having confidence in yourself. This is about having confidence in the one who saved your soul and redeemed your life and changed you completely. This is about confidence in him. Now, with that in mind, I want to share with you some things that John talks about that we can have confidence in. The first thing we should have confidence in is our prayer lives. When we pray... We should have confidence. He begins the text by saying, now this is the confidence that we have in Him. This is the confidence that we have in Him. He's the one 
that we are confident in, not ourselves, not our ability. This is the confidence we have in Him that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if He hears us, we know we have the petition that we've asked of Him. God wants us to have so much confidence in Him. He wants us to believe in Him with all of our hearts to the point that we believe that He hears our prayers as His children and that He answers our prayers. And when we pray, heaven is listening and something will happen. That's very important. You see, friends, according to everything I know about the Bible and prayer, confidence, trusting in God, and believing in God always precedes receiving. Sometimes people don't understand why they're not receiving when they pray. And the Bible teaches us that confidence and belief and faith and trust comes first. You see, in this life, we have a great tendency to say, I'll believe it when I see it. But that's not the way it works in the kingdom of God. If you take that approach with the kingdom of God, you'll never see it. You see, it's not I'll believe it when I see it. In the Bible, you will see it when you believe it. Believing precedes the seeing. You have to believe. And according to the Bible, confident prayers get answered and doubting prayers get ignored. That's no exaggeration. James 1, 6 and 7 says, But let him ask in faith. That's talking about prayer now. With no doubting, for he who doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. If you approach God with a doubting heart, you will not receive anything from him. Jesus said the same thing in Mark eleven twenty four. Therefore, I say to you, now these are the words of Jesus, whatever thing you ask when you pray, what comes first? Believe that you receive them and you will have them. The believing precedes the receiving. Now, God will help you with the believing part. Some years ago in this church, before we came here, 12 years ago, we were still in Sotchapi, and we were having a great prayer emphasis, and I don't remember what the emphasis was all about, but it was church-wide. We were praying for a particular Sunday that God would do something awesome, and He would do something supernatural, and that we would see a harvest of souls, and that the saving grace of God would rest on a particular Sunday morning service. And we were praying. And that Sunday morning came, and I have to tell you, I was rather nervous. And because we'd been praying so hard. And the lady who was singing special music that morning stepped to the rostrum. She took a mic and she said, before I sing, I want to say something to the congregation. She said, we've been praying and we've been crying out to God. And I don't remember her exact words verbatim, but this is basically what she said. We've been crying out to God. We know we've prayed according to his will. And now today, before this service is over, the saving grace of God will be upon this service. And people will be saved and lives will be changed. There will be an outpouring of the glory of God. Now, I got to tell you, when she said that, I went, I would rather somebody else be preaching. I'd rather somebody else bear that responsibility. Uh, Man, I felt like she put me on the spot. I, I felt like she put everybody on the spot. I felt like in my heart she had stepped over the line. 
Let me tell you what happened. With fear and trembling, I stepped to the pulpit and I did not have the faith she had. I stepped to the pulpit and I began to preach and the Spirit of God rested upon that service and you could feel the Holy Spirit tugging at people and it was almost like, hurry up and finish this message because somebody needs to get saved. And we gave the invitation and people started streaming down the aisles. People were weeping. People got saved. She, She took God at His word. She prayed and she believed and I don't think she had an ounce of confidence in me nor should she have had confidence in me. I don't think she had confidence in herself. I think that she had connected with a holy God. She believed she was praying according to His will. She was stating her faith. She was saying we've called on the one who can make it happen and it will happen by faith. And I believe, I don't think she was the only one but I believe had she been the only one that prayed and believed like that. I believe God would have moved heaven and earth to bring it to pass. Because you see, friends, we can have this confidence. That's what it says. We can have this confidence that if we ask anything according to His will, that He hears us. And we should, we should walk in that confidence. Listen, no matter who you are, no matter what level you're at in your Christian life, if you are a Christian, if you just walked down the aisle, made a profession of faith, prayed to receive Jesus into your heart and just got baptized and and you've only been a Christian for a matter of minutes, I want you to know you can pray with that same kind of confidence because that kind of praying has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with the one who saved you and change your life. Now, this one area of confidence alone can radically change your life. Just coming to a point of confidence where you know that He hears and answers your prayers. That's the first thing. Second thing I want you to see in this confidence is that we should have confidence when it comes to the attack of the enemy. Boy, do we need this one today. Look at verse 18. We know that whoever is born of God does not sin. But he who has been born of God keeps himself, and the wicked one does not touch him. This verse tells us that if a person is born of God, he does not continue in sin. And he keeps himself. That means he becomes a responsible follower of God. And then this amazing statement is made, and the wicked one does not touch him. Wow. You mean there's a place in the Christian life for us where we can live and the wicked one cannot touch us? Wow! One of my favorite stories in my whole Christian life came from an evangelist that I invited to come to Wakala County many years ago and to preach here. And he told me this story. He said that he was in an airport. He had a a layover for several hours. And he said he was on his way to a distant city to preach a revival service that night. And he needed to go over his notes and and read his scripture. And this was in the days before 9-11. And he, he said he looked for a back hallway, a secluded place, where he could be all alone so he could get with God, his Bible, his notes, and get ready for that night for a couple of hours before his flight left. He said he found an old abandoned hallway, went down that hallway, found some seats at the end of it, said it was just perfect. Nobody couldn't even hear anybody. And he said it was just him, his Bible, his notes, and the Lord. And then he said as he read those notes, he said he could see some feet standing right in front of him. And he said he lifted up his eyes and he said there was a man standing in front of him with a knife in his hand and it was open and the man had the knife pointed at him and when he looked at him, he said, give me all of your money or I will kill you. 
And he said it just so happened. By the way, I want to tell you, friends, when you're walking with God, there will be many times in your life it will just so happen. He was meditating on the very verse that I'm preaching on right now. And he said he stood up. He said with this amazing sense of calm that could only come from the presence of God. He said he stood up and he looked at him. And with respect, he said, Sir, I am begotten of God. I am a child of God. And the wicked one cannot touch me. I'm sorry, sir, but you can't touch me. He said the guy's eyes got about this big. He said his hands started shaking. And he said, and then it was like the knife was on fire. And he said he let go of the knife and it bounced on the floor. And the man turned and ran down the hallway. He said he reached down, picked up the knife, closed it, put it in his sock pocket, and went back to studying the Word of God. Can I tell you, and you'll understand why, that the man who shared that story with me was the boldest and the most confident and the most courageous Christian I think I've ever met. He did not believe that the wicked one could touch him or stop him when he was in service for God. He just didn't believe that. Now, ask me if I believe that story and I'll tell you yes. Oh, I believe stories that are more outlandish than that. I believe those kind of stories. I believe God does that kind of stuff. But I do need to be honest with you just for a second. I really don't think that's what this is talking about. I think this is talking about something much deeper than that. I think this is talking about the enemy cannot touch your soul. He cannot touch the place in you that God has saved and redeemed. He cannot touch the gift that God has given to you in salvation. I I will tell you, there are places in the world right now where the wicked one is putting his hand on the physical bodies of Christians. And Christians are being killed and Christians are being slaughtered. But friends, understand this. That those Christians that are being killed and being slaughtered, and by the way, are willing to be killed and tormented. That the wicked one cannot touch or take away from them what God has given them. And they are more than willing to give up this life for what God has given to them. Now, I will tell you this, and I need to tell you this. I have confidence today. I don't believe that all the demons in hell and all the wickedness of this world together can take you out of this life one moment before God's ready for you to enter into the kingdom of heaven if you are serving Him. I believe that. Now, I didn't say if you were perfect. But I believe if you're on mission for God. So child of God, listen and understand. You do not have to fear for your life. And you do not have to fear the wicked one. He cannot touch that part of you which is eternal. Which God has given to you. And by the way, that is probably the reason Jesus said in Matthew 10, 28. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. You see, friends, we don't have to fear. We don't have to fear those who kill the body. Now, if you begin to put these things together, you, you understand confidence is building. I know that he hears and answers my prayer. I know, I know that the wicked one cannot touch me. And then the next thing I see in this text is that he wants us to be confident when it comes to walking with God. Look at verse 19. We know This is a strong statement. We know that we are of God. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. When it comes to a relationship with God, 
when it comes to our confidence, we can be absolutely, positively sure that we know God, that we know Him, that we are walking with Him. We serve a God who is up close and personal. Psalm 145, 18 says, The Lord is near to all who call upon Him, to all who call upon Him in truth. James 4, 8 says, Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. He's an up close and personal God. Child of God, listen. If you're a child of God, we know we have an intimate relationship with the God of the universe. And we have confidence in Him. And that confidence is based on something very real. We have confidence in Him because we walk with Him. We commune with Him. We fellowship with Him. We talk to Him. He talks to us. He leads us. He guides us. He helps us. He's a very present help in trouble. And His power and His glory and His presence are an unmistakable presence in our lives. Listen. Listen, friends. Maybe somebody here needs to hear this today. Christianity is not about hoping and wishing and confusion and doubting. It's about confidence and knowing and being sure that we know we are of God. We know we are of God. Now, I cannot leave this without at least addressing the latter part of this passage of Scripture. It says, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You see, we know that we are of God, and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. Now, friends, John wanted us to know that we're a special breed. We're a special kind. We are unique and peculiar people. We walk with God. We know Him. But at the same time, John wants us to understand that the rest of the world outside of Christianity lies under the sway of the wicked one. I've heard this a lot in the last few days. Pastor, what in the world is going on? What is all this terrorism about? What, what is this madness What is happening? What's wrong with the world? I just don't understand what's wrong with the world. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. If you know your Bible and you believe your Bible, you know what's wrong with the world. Let me make it simple for you. There's one true God and those who follow Him. And everybody outside of that relationship is under the sway of the wicked one. That's what the Scripture teaches. I don't care if it's politically correct. I don't care if that sounds narrow-minded. It's in the Bible. And we know that we are of God and the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. You'll see a picture on television. There'll be a name called out. And you'll hear this. This is the master mind of the terrorist attack. And then sometimes we hear this. We'll, we'll see the picture and hear the name and say the master mind of the terrorist attack has been killed. Friends, let me assure you, the mastermind has not been killed. And you have not seen his face on television. That's not the mastermind. Satan is the mastermind. And the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one. 
By the way, please don't fall into this trap. Man, if we could just do something with ISIS, if we could just get rid of ISIS, the world would be a wonderful, peaceful place. No, it wouldn't. If we were to somehow be able to get rid of ISIS, the wicked one will raise up another movement worse and more vile. Oh, friends, the wicked one. Now, when we begin to put all this together, I know he hears and answers my prayer. I know the wicked one can't touch me. And even though the whole world lies under the sway of the wicked one, I know I'm walking with God. We're talking about some wonderful things of confidence. And I want to tell you, friends, the whole world can be under the sway and the control of the wicked one, but he cannot take away your confidence if you're walking with God. Now, let me give you one more. Verse 20, when it comes to understanding the things of God... We should have confidence when it comes to understanding the things of God. Verse 20 says, And we know that the Son of God has come and has given us a what? An understanding that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. In His Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Friends, when Jesus Christ comes into your life, my life, our lives, when Jesus Christ comes into a person's life, He brings understanding. All of a sudden, life starts making sense. Life has rhyme and reason. Confusion is replaced with clarity. Uh, Sadness and sorrow give way to victory and celebration. Why? Because for the first time in our lives, we get it. We understand what it's all about. It all makes sense. Life makes sense. There's no longer any confusion. There's no longer a mystery when it comes to life, birth, life, suffering, salvation, death, and eternity. All makes sense. He brings in the truth, and he reveals that truth to us. You've heard me share some of these before, but a college professor asked his class to define life in one sentence. And so each one of them had to give a definition of life in one sentence. These are some of the answers. Life is a joke that's not even funny. Life is the most cruel joke ever told. Life is a biological accident. Life is the sentence you receive for the crime of being born. This was a depressed class, you think? (laughs) Life is a prison from which the only escape is death. Well, friends, here's what I want to tell you. Whatever your definition of life is, whatever your comprehension of life is, the moment Jesus Christ comes into your heart, he begins to bring understanding. It doesn't happen all at one time, but it begins, and it begins to grow, and your eyes are opened, and you begin to see and comprehend truth, and you begin to know what life is all about. In the Old Testament, when they prophesied of the coming of the Messiah, they said he'll bring light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death, And he will guide their feet into the pathway of peace. I can tell you, when you meet Jesus Christ... Now, I think there's a lot of stuff going on in America that falls far short of true salvation. But friends, I want to tell you, when you truly meet Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, he brings in understanding. Darkness and death give way to light and peace. And for the first time in your life, you begin to get it. You understand what life is about and what creation is about and what eternity is about. Your search is over because your Savior
has brought to you understanding. Now, I hope you can understand this. Just put those things that I've shared with you together. Just for a moment, put those things together. (laughs) I know that he hears and answers my prayer. I know the wicked one can't touch me. I know that even though the rest of the world is under the sway of the wicked one, I know I'm walking with God. And I know that my Savior saved me and he brought knowledge into me. And I can comprehend truth like I've never been able to comprehend it before. Put those things together, friends, and you'll walk out of this house with great confidence. i got about five minutes, and I want to share with you a portion of this scripture that you think I've overlooked. I want us to look at verses 16 and 17. When he talked about confidence in prayer, he made this statement in verses 16 and 17. If anyone sees his brother sinning a sin which does not lead to death, he will ask, you see your brother committing a sin that does not lead to death, he will ask, that's prayer, and he, that's God, will give him life for those who commit sin not leading to death. Now, very quickly, what that means, friends, is that every one of us need help. Every one of us need prayer. All Christians make mistakes. None of us are perfect. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all stumble and fall. And we all need one another. We all need accountability. We need people to speak into our lives. And we need people who will come around us and if necessary bombard heaven with confidence that they're praying according to God's will that God will straighten a brother or sister up and get them back in the right path. And God promises. He says, if you pray for a brother or sister who commits a sin that does not lead to death, God will do something about it. Now there is an exception here. It says, it says, and I'm picking up in the middle of verse 16, however, there is a sin leading to death. I do not say that he should pray about that. In other words, the Bible says that here, here's an exception. Here's an exception. You should have confidence in prayer, but, but in this particular area, you cannot claim this promise of Scripture. If a brother or sister is committing a sin unto death, then you, you can't require that of God. Uh, he doesn't say you can't pray for him. He just doesn't, he doesn't say, I'm not saying that you should claim the promise here. And, and then he says, all unrighteousness is sin, and there is sin not leading to death. Now, hold on. We're going to clear this up. All unrighteousness is sin, but not all sin has the same outcome. Some sin is not unto death, and some sin is unto death. And friends, this is talking about physical death, and it is talking about believers. Do not confuse this with the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit, which Jesus talked about in the Gospels. You remember Jesus said in the Gospel of Mark, but he who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will never have forgiveness, but is subject to eternal damnation. You see, it's a lost person who sometimes commits blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. But even the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is not a sin unto death. Do you understand that there are people walking around all over this planet who have blasphemed the Holy Spirit, who have said no to the sweet, prompting, convicting power of the Holy Spirit. They've cursed and blasphemed the Holy Spirit. And they've driven Him from them. And the Bible says they will never be forgiven. They will never be saved. They will never come to repentance. But that doesn't mean they die. 
physically. They will one day like everybody else. But the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is not the sin unto death. It's a sin that means you'll never come to life. That's what blasphemy is. Now, on the other hand, Christians who have received Christ and been born again can sometimes commit a sin unto death. And that's what John's talking about here. And we, we know that's the case because the Bible gives us some illustrations. I hope I have your attention right now. The Bible tells us, shows us, names some people who committed the sin unto death in the Bible. In the book of Acts, Ananias and Sapphira were numbered among the multitude of the believers and they lied to the Holy Spirit and they died. They committed the sin unto death. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthian church and he said to them, he said, you need to be careful how you take communion and the Lord's Supper service. They were disrespecting the Lord's Supper. They were treating the communion service as something common. They were taking of the communion service in an unworthy manner. They were treating something sacred and holy as if it was common and worldly. Listen to what he says. This is 1 Corinthians eleven thirty and 31. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you. He's talking to the church. And many sleep. That's a euphemism. For they have died. And then he says, oh, please, every one of us should mark this in our Bibles. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. I made up a story years ago. I've used it many, many times. I'll share it with you now. A father looks out the back window of his house into a vacant lot behind his house where his young son is playing with the neighborhood children. But the father notices his child. By the way, the father is far more concerned about his child than he is the neighbor's children, as a good parent would be. And he notices that his son is not playing fair. In fact, he's being rude. He's, being, he's, he's bullying some of the other kids. He's, he's creating problems with them. And the father does not like this. He opens the back door and he shouts to his son. He calls his name and he says, Son, I taught you better than that. You know better than that. Straighten up and play fair. A little while later, he looks out the back door. His son is still doing the same thing. The father this time opens the door, but he doesn't stand there. He walks out the door. He goes by a little bush. He, he breaks off a little switch, and he grabs his son, and he pops him a couple times, just enough to get his attention. And he said, Son, I'm serious about this now. You are my son. I will not allow you to behave this way. Now straighten up. I want you to enjoy yourself. I want you to have fun with your friends. But you can't do this. Father goes back in the house. A little later, the father looks out and he sees his son continuing in rebellion against what his father has told him. This time, when the father opens the back door, he does not verbally correct him and he does not physically chastise him. He just looks at him and calls his name and he says, Son, it's time for you to come home. You can't play anymore. You forfeited your right to be with the others. I love you too much to let you keep living this way. And he brings his son in. Friends, I want to tell you as a child of God, 
if we understand anything about this Bible, the Bible says, for whom the Lord loves, he chastens even as a father, the son in whom he delights. If you are a true child of God, if I am a true child of God, there will be times in our lives with the sweetest, most compassion and love that a father can give, he'll correct us. But if we do not listen to that, there will come a time when God will begin to correct us and chastise us, just like the Bible says. And sometimes it'll be physical. But then if we persist in sin, there will come a time when God will say, son, I love you too much to let you keep living this way. I'm bringing you home to heaven. I didn't redeem you for you to act this way. And the Father takes that person to heaven. Now, friends, you want to have the greatest Thanksgiving week and the greatest holiday you've ever had? I can tell you exactly how to do it. The one thing you do not want to do is walk out of here and try to figure out what the sin unto death is. God would not be pleased with that. What you want to walk out of here and say today is all unrighteousness is sin. And I won't play around with any sin. And if my father doesn't like it, I'll get it out of my life. No matter how small, no matter how insignificant. Listen, if you understand that all unrighteousness is sin, you don't have to worry about the sin unto death. Because you want to get right with the Lord. And you, if you have to come to this altar, I don't care if it's nobody else in the world knows about it. It's just a small thing. But the Holy Spirit's convicted you of it. You get it right with God. And you walk out of here knowing that every sin is under the blood and out of your life by faith in Him. And while you're walking, say... Because I know God's Word, and I'm a child of God, and I've been forgiven, and I've been cleansed, I know He hears and answers my prayer. I know the wicked one cannot touch me. I know I'm walking with God, and I know He has given me an understanding of the truth. Bow with me in prayer. Thank you again for listening to River of Life Podcast. If this message has touched you today, or if you need somebody to pray with you, please let us know. You can call us at 850-926-1200 or send an email at info at riveroflifefl.com. We also encourage you to check out River of Life live this Sunday at 1030 a.m. in Crawfordville. Visit riveroflifefl.com for more information and directions. Thank you.